Morabai. Good morning. I'm Judith Lay and this is Praise, the programme that connects faith and daily life. Manx Radio. A family Bible that left the island over 180 years ago comes home with a great story to tell. And we hear from a man on a big mission who'll be here on the island in September. But let's get started with some music. sound of the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, and if you enjoy hymns and worship songs in that style, then you should definitely be in the Methodist Church on Menorca Hill in Laxey next Sunday evening for the 12th Annual Jazz Service. Reverend Richard Hall will lead it, and the Manx Jazz Cats will provide the music, and everyone will be made very welcome. The service itself starts at half past six, but the music begins at 6.15 and everyone's invited to stay on afterwards for light refreshments and a time of fellowship. That's all next Sunday evening in Laxey Methodist Church. Homecoming is something that we're very familiar with here on the island, people returning to their roots and indeed exploring their roots. But this morning, the homecoming is the true story of a travelling Bible that started its life in 1834 and just this week, in 2019, has come home to Kirk Braddon. And who better to tell me the story than the two ladies who have brought this back? And you are... Mallory Moore, Beverly Moore. And you are sisters. Mallory, would you like to start the story for us, please? Well, my beginning of the story is missing in a lot of details in that my cousin phoned me up one day and said, I think this is yours. And I said, what is it? And he said, it's a very large Bible and I'm going to bring it round to you. The only problem was I was on my way back to France and it's very heavy. So I took it to Johannesburg and gave it to my sister to take care of. And she takes the story from there. So having had the Bible sitting in a cupboard for a while, I thought, well, I don't have children. Mallory doesn't have children. And when we are no longer here, it would be a great pity for the Bible to end up somewhere on a rubbish dump or something like that. So I spoke to Mallory and we decided that the Bible should go home. So I have a friend of mine who does book restoring. So the Bible was taken in and they spent 28 hours and 45 minutes restoring the Bible to the way it is now. 
We'll hear more from sisters Mallory and Beverly Moore in a few moments. But for more details of the journey this Bible has taken over the last 185 years, let's join Reverend Margaret Fourie. Margaret is a retired Anglican priest who assists with ministry in Kirkbraddon. Margaret is also South African, so she was particularly pleased to receive the Bible on behalf of the people of Kirkbraddon on this, the last leg of its journey from Johannesburg back home to the Isle of Man. And Margaret, joined now by Beverly Moore, have a lot of information to share about the generations who've treasured this Bible. We're here in Kirkbraddon for the receiving of this wonderful Bible mm. that the family have brought back here for safekeeping. This is a special moment, isn't it? It's an unusual thing to happen, isn't it? Well, it is. Very heavy Bible, and it's been most wonderfully repaired. It was in a state of real collapse and falling apart, and they've had it fabulously repaired in leather. And this was a Bible that was given to Henry Norse Moore in Kirkbraddon, on the occasion of his marriage. The inscription says, every year the two of you must read here what the Bible says about the duties of husbands and wives to each other and get, just check up that you're doing it right. What a good idea. He had three sons, and one of them was Cuthbert Wilson Moore, who went out to India first, and then he went out to South Africa as a soldier to the Boer War. 1899. Actually, he went in 1900. We'd never really known much about the Moore side of the family because there'd been no continuity as far as parents and grandparents. So that kind of fell into an area which Mallory and I didn't know much about. After my mum died, in her deed box, I found a lot of fascinating information about where Cuthbert Wilson Moore had worked, first of all in the UK, in Bradford, on Stoke-upon-Trent, and then how he signed up with the 4th Battalion North Staffordshire Regiment and came out in 1900 to fight. So I went on a bit of a journey of exploration, very much so, going back to the family roots and decided more and more that this Bible has too much history, it's been through too much, it has to go home. So here we are. Cuthbert Wilson Moore was part of the 4th Battalion of the North Staffordshire Regiment, which is now also the Prince of Wales Regiment. And they went out and they did work guarding railways and things like that. And at the end of his term there, he decided he would really rather like to stay in South Africa. And he had, in the meantime, met a young lady called Catherine, and she was a German. Now, there were German missionaries there. Eckhart was her surname. There were German missionaries, and then there were also two lots of German immigrants that came to the Eastern Cape of South Africa. But I suspect that she was of, of missionary stock because the, the, there are not any Eckharts in the two lots of, of immigrants. Anyway, they got married. They had children, but unfortunately he died at 35, which was very, very sad, of TB, which he probably picked up during the Boer War. And she married a, a rather unsuitable fellow after that, had another child. And then I don't know what happened to him, whether they were divorced or whether he succumbed to something else. But she went back to her Moore name. After Catherine had it, it went to her daughter Ruth, who went to Namaqualand. If you know your geography, you'll know that Namaqualand is on the west, northwest 
coast of South Africa, up north in where the diamonds are, just before Namibia. And that Bible was over there. And then it went back down to Paul, which is in the Western Cape. It had been in the Eastern Cape. And then it went down to Cape Town, where it was in a flat which Catherine Kate shared with her daughter. And then it went on to her granddaughter, from Johannesburg, that is, of course. And cut a long story short, the last two moors of this line don't have children. And so they were here today to bring this, this wonderful Bible back to where it all started, to give it to Braddon. And so it's come back home and there's a, the circle has been completed. It's rather nice. And it's something about, that's wonderful, is about the continuity of the faith and how it's kept. Give me the faith which can and sink a mountain to a plain. Give me the childlike praying love which longs to build thy love again. Thy love let it my heart empower and all my simple soul The St. Michael Singers with Charles Wesley's hymn Give Me the Faith Which Can Remove and Sink a Mountain to a Plain. Let's rejoin sisters Beverly and Mallory Moore, who I met in Kirk Braddon when they returned a 185-year-old family Bible which had been given to their great-great-great-grandfather, Henry Norse Moore. For Mallory Moore, it's the very fact that the Bible has survived for so many years that she finds truly remarkable. Well, the fact that it didn't get into a flood 
or rain, because it can rain in South Africa quite heavily. It's just the fact that it sort of had the tenacity to stick around and then be found again is, I think, is really, for us, was really special. For you both, this is a first visit to the Isle of Man. Absolutely, yes. Have you found it interesting, the fact that we have a, a quite a strong family history society? I believe you've been able to look at a family grave, haven't you? That's right, yes. Our great-great-great-grandfather, Henry Norsmore, is buried at Old Kirk Braddon, and so we were able to actually find the gravestone. Henry Norsmore, our great-great-great-grandfather, his two sons were christened in Old Kirk Braddon, and the elder of those two sons became a reverend, and he was sent to All Saints in Liverpool, which is where Cuthbert Wilson was born. So the Bible actually went with the family from Old Kirkbraden to Liverpool. And then my grandfather signed up for the Anglo-Boer War and he brought it out with him. And that's worth just reflecting on, that it was so important to him that he took it away to Mm, war, mm, which would not have been an easy thing to do. It's a heavy book. We've all commented on the weight of it. It must have meant so, so much that he had to have it by him. He was single at the time, so he brought it, not because somebody else suggested that he bring it, he brought it because he wanted to bring it out. So it's been the most wonderful, uh, special, special, uh, just such a thrill on Wednesday when we finally got to Old Kirk Braddon after all of the months of planning and to be able to walk around and go into the church and see all the places that they all knew and now we know them as well and the lovely thing about old Kirk Braddon is it's so very unspoiled you do get a sense of time and place it's very interesting because you know South Africa well it's young compared to everything here I mean you know 1652 everybody in England and and the Isle of Man probably think oh well you know you're you're a youngster at that stage so for us it's been amazing to find first of all the tombstone and to see the church in its original condition and it was it's just so quaint and it's so tranquil and there's a there's a serenity in the old church and it's just such a beautiful setting and of course we have to we've been very lucky seeing the Isle of Man for the first time in full-on sunshine (laughs) but it was really beautiful and the church is lovely and the sense of community on the island itself I have found really very very special because everybody we've met related to the church or not have been so incredibly friendly to us and so nice and We've just had an amazing time, and a pity it's only three days, but that's what time allows. I just thought it it has to go home. It's got too much of a story to tell. And it is a wonderful story. Thank you both very much indeed for bringing it back to us, and thank you so much for talking to us this morning. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. South African sisters Mallory and Beverly Moore, who came to Kirk Braddon a couple of days ago to return a family Bible which left the island 185 years ago. The Bible was received on behalf of the church by another South African, Reverend Margaret Fury, an Anglican priest who, in her retirement here, is a member of the ministry team in Kirkbraden. To celebrate the arrival of the Moore family Bible, there was a lovely afternoon tea, which gave me a chance to find out a little more about Margaret. My subject is actually communication, and I've looked at communication intrapersonal, so inside yourself, what you say to yourself. I'm big on what we tell ourselves. And then also between people, and I did a lot of work in various companies with how to improve relationships in the communication that you have, how to communicate for improved performance in management and so on. And then that led on, of course, to things like uh, how you speak to your children, and your teenagers, and sometimes maybe too much to the teenagers, and to each other, you know, does darling listen? And so I've written a few books. 
as I say, I'm very keen on that. I didn't do too much in the media. I did a little bit of newspaper and a little bit of, of uh, TV and radio. But uh, mainly I've been in management and then in the church, of course. Margaret, I would love to talk to you more about communication because it feels to me that good communication or, or the lack of good communication can get us into all kinds of difficult and painful situations. We, we don't say what we feel, we assume we know what somebody else means and then we get into awful difficulties. And that's something I'd, I'd love to come back to, if I may. Oh, certainly. But what drew you into the church in the first place? It's one of those things where for, for a long time when I was a little child, I, I felt that this was where I belonged. And then um, I did what I think most teenagers and young 20s and things should do. I left the church and went and did a bit of wild oatsing, you know. Um, and, then, and then God has a way of getting through to you, you know, tap, tap, tap on the shoulder and tap, tap, tap and tap, tap, tap. And then if you still won't listen, he sometimes puts out his foot and trips you up. And then says, now will you listen? So it was a, a lot of resistance for a long time. I was a Methodist preacher for about 20 years. Uh, I kept being invited to, for ordination. And then, then eventually turned into an Anglican. Well, of course, Wesley was an Anglican. And uh, then as soon as I'd done that, God said, all right, now is a good time to get ordained, which was, was strange because the Methodists did ordain women. The Anglicans didn't in those days. And God waited until I was an Anglican to say now. So I found that with God. He's got a wonderful sense of humor. This was in South Africa with Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Incidentally, we are the same size and we shared a tailor and thereby hangs a few tails. Anyway, <laughs> so then that took a few years. Then I was ordained in the Anglican Church. And I must say that it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Being the right person in the right place at the right time, in spite of your own weaknesses and the experience of that is extraordinary. Sometimes, you know, I go out to visit people and my heart just sings. I just think, how fabulous to be doing what I really love. And that is wonderful. There's much more I'd like to discuss with Reverend Margaret Fourie, especially in that whole area of good communication. And I look forward to welcoming her back to the programme again. Last week, you might recognise this as the sound of Lou Fellingham, who, with her band, will be leading an evening of heartfelt worship when Spring Harvest Local comes to the island on the 17th of September. It's coming to the perfect venue, Mountain View Innovation Centre on the Joby Road, just outside Ramsey. Easy to find, loads of parking, plenty of space for everyone, and food available on the site too. 
It's going to be an evening of inspiring teaching, and earlier this week it was announced that the speaker will be Gavin Calver, who's just been chosen as the new leader of the Evangelical Alliance, the oldest and largest evangelical unity movement in the UK, drawing together hundreds of organisations, thousands of churches and tens of thousands of individuals united in their passion to know Jesus and to speak in his name as a trusted voice in society. But this won't be Gavin's first visit to the island. I well remember his coming in the summer of 2014, when he was National Director of Youth for Christ, and I recall being impressed by his views on ministry with young people. Here's a little of what he said on that visit. At the age of 14, I left church at the church's invitation. I was banned for six months. And I remember at the time being absolutely delighted because it meant that even my mum couldn't make me go. But then my mum and dad moved to America when I was 17. And after nine months of what I guess you might call hedonism, I sat on a park bench on my own and surrendered my life to Jesus. Why? Because I tried other things and they weren't true. Until that point, Jesus had been like an auntie in my life. Someone I knew existed but didn't really like going to visit. But the reality became clear that you could try everything else, but Jesus was the truth behind the world. And you know the hardest people to tell? My mum and dad. Because even when it's the meaning behind the universe, you still don't want your parents to be right. And I'll just encourage parents listening to this. Your teenagers may be struggling, and they may be on a journey, but never give up and get praying and get people praying for them and be, believe what's possible. There's no doubt it's hard being a young person today. Young people aren't worse. Let's just deal with that for a start. Um, the world's more broken. Now, young people didn't break the world. That was broken by older people. So let, let's get away from the thing that, that young people are worse. They're not. But this is a hard landscape to grow up in. And what you have to do in a ministry like Youth for Christ is you have to keep reminding yourself that Jesus changes lives. And therefore, that helps you keep going when it's hard. Equally... 85% of people in the last 100 years who've come to faith in the United Kingdom have done so before they're 23. And so therefore, we have a, an urgency and a motivation to know that, yes, it's difficult ground, but it's also very fertile ground. I think if, if church remains passive, then we'll continue to lose people, not just young people, we'll lose people of all ages. Church has to be participative in order for people to be reached and retained. You know, when Jesus wanted to change the world, a 30-year-old man starting his ministry, he didn't start an elder board, he started a youth group. Very interesting. The disciples are aged 15 to 22. An older man investing in young people. But what was the key thing for me was that he empowered the young people he worked with feeding the 5,000 there's no lunch he turns to his disciples and says who's got lunch fellas and in the end Andrew Simon Peter's brother brings a little pat lunch to Jesus and says don't know what you can do with this but you're Jesus so would you ever go if you look at when uh, Jesus brings Lazarus back to life a dead man to life what's the last thing he does before he raises a dead man to life he says um, can some of you move the stone why doesn't need to do that. He's about to bring a dead man to life. He can move his own stone. But no, he wants people involved. And I think too often in our Christianity, we do not allow people to participate. We expect them to be passive. And in this world, at this time, people need to be active in order to own something. We've got to make Christianity something that's not done to people, but is lived out through people. I run a youth group myself on a Sunday night. But we, me and my wife and I decided we weren't going to do it in the church. We we're going to do it in our home. Because it's not going to be a youth group, it's going to be more than that. We're going to open our lives to share it with this bunch of young people. Why is it going to be in our home? Well, because a lot of them don't know what a home is like. We're inviting them into our family. We're inviting them to be part of our world. Christianity has got to be more than what we've made it. We've made it a program. We've made it a package. We've made it a Sunday morning. We've got to burst out of that and make it a way of life. Youth for Christ exists for two things. Firstly, we're not called Make Young People Nice. 
we're called Youth for Christ. We don't just want to see young people being better citizens. We want to see them meet Jesus Christ. But secondly, we exist to build the muscles of the church in reaching young people, that the bride of Christ would have a better balance in it. Not at the expense of old people, please, but we have not got enough younger people in our churches. And we want to help church be ready for that change. I'm asked every Sunday when I preach somewhere, how do we get more young people? I always ask a question back. Do you want young people or young looking old people? Because if you have young people in your churches, your church will be more vibrant, will be different, will be more dangerous, but it will involve change. And if you're ready for change, let's have a go together. Come on, let's be prepared to change, let's be prepared to move forward, and let's be prepared to dream of different things. But it comes at a cost. Will you pay the price for the sake of new generations? We are ready. There are no easy answers to the questions that Gavin Calver asks. There he was speaking as National Director of Youth for Christ. When he visits us again in September, I feel sure his message will be different but just as challenging. But it might get us looking at ourselves in a different way and might indeed be life-changing. I'll be talking to Lou Fellingham and to Gavin Calver again in a few weeks' time to find out more about what we can expect on the night itself. So listen out for much more about Spring Harvest Local. But if you can't wait any longer to get your tickets, go to springharvest.org forward slash local. The Isle of Man date, the 17th of September, is top of the list. And if you click Book Now, it takes you to a simple booking form. The tickets are actually slightly cheaper if you book in advance. They're £8 for adults or £6 for anyone who's unwaged. And finally, it's beach mission time again in Peel and in Port St Mary. Port St Mary Beach Mission starts today with crafts and activities in and around Port St Mary Town Hall from half past three onwards. And then for the next two weeks, there'll be age group sessions every day with extra special events and outings for children, teens and adults. You'll find all the details on Facebook. Just search for PSM Beach Mission. And the Peel Beach Mission starts tomorrow with morning and afternoon sessions on the beach every weekday for the next fortnight. Again, you'll find them at facebook.com, then search for Peel Beach Mission. And that's a good place to find out where the indoor session is to be held if we get any wet days. And that really is all we have time for today. Don't forget to take a look at the Praise blog, where you'll find our full church notice board, alongside details of everything that we've talked about on today's programme. Just go to manxradio.com, on the homepage, click on Air, and on the drop-down menu, follow the link for blogs. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise podcast. There's a new Praise podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead.